I think with a lot of these things, you can you can sometimes overtrain. I think that's that's, that's <laughs> never in danger. That's a phrase for a lazy bastard. <laughs> yeah, but you don't want to overtrain. It's like, but you're not fucking doing anything. It's like you're I on. said, I don't want to overtrain. <laughs> kind of looked at me, and they said the answer was was alcohol. So, ladies and gentlemen, the Tempest Two. Tom Caulfield, James Whittle, the Tempest Two. This is the story of the Tempest Two. Life, yeah, we go. Yeah, hello, and welcome to episode six of the Tempest Two podcast. Uh, episode six, bloody hell, I'm tired today. Oh, okay, I'm tired. Long week, long week. We had a couple of beers in the city last night, didn't we? <laughs> With a client, we did four, four premium lagers. I'm just tired today. I'm I not, think I'm not hungover, I'm just tired. I think that's fair enough. I think that's totally fair enough. You're a busy man. Busy guy. And I think we were obviously texting on the train home last night. Had a couple of beers in, where was it, Leadenhall Market. Good fun. The only people in t-shirts with the radius of 100 miles. <laughs> Stood out like a sore thumb. But yeah, four lagers, fine. Go home. But what that does is it completely removes any chance of you cooking when you get home. Yep. So just eat shit on the way home on the train. What did you have? <laughs> I, I have. I actually screwed you over a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you threw me up there. <laughs> he, he planted the seed for a Burger King, which I obliged. Headed straight to the Burger King. Got a chicken legend, which is controversial. No, that's a good choice. Um, chips, just a water, because I'm not a total animal. <laughs> and um, it was fantastic. And then got a text from you, and you'd gone for a bagel. Oh, I was in Burger King queue. And the queue was big, and there was a little bagel place next to it in Waterloo Station. And I was like, well, do you know what? I'll watch the rig. So I got a chicken and avocado bagel. But then I arrived back home, or got to Surbiton, and was hungry. still hungry. Yeah. So I went to M&S and bought a wrap as well. So yeah, yeah. probably cancelled it out. Good. But, um, Justice. But yeah, we, uh, yeah, we're getting old now. Four, yeah. four beers and feel a bit, feel a bit tired. Well, that, and that is, uh, welcome to episode six. Yeah, so, episode six. I think we've got to start with some big, big news. What's up? What happened over the weekend, mate? Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, at the weekend, big news. Went to Barcelona. Barcelona. Took my girlfriend to Barcelona. Si. It was her 30th birthday. We've been together a short amount of time. <laughs> Approximately 12 years, <laughs> and uh, I finally dropped the question. Drop the question. You said, will you take it up there? <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. Proposed. Did. Drop the question. Congratulations. Thanks very much. L, James, congratulations. And I think the next big bit of news is we've decided that two listeners will come on the stag do. <laughs> so, so, well, that's basically either your mates or my mates yeah, listening at the moment. Exactly. Um, so to all the all the female fans out there, James is put a ring on it. Off the market. Off the market. Are you saying you are very much on the market then? Ah, oh, <laughs> I'm afraid not. What's that film where it's... Oh, it's just a series I've been watching. It's totally irrelevant. <laughs> no, both off the market, but you are now locked in. The process has begun. Yeah, we're actually in, in my house now. I'm surrounded by congratulations, your engaged cards. Yeah. So feeling very much like an adult for maybe the first time in my life. Yeah, it's a bit sickly, to be honest. It is, isn't it? A bit much. So well done. Lots of well wishes. Anyway, this is an adventure <laughs> podcast. <laughs> uh, thank you for tuning in again. So far, we've covered the Atlantic, what we did immediately on returning and how we started our business. Uh, and more recently, uh, last week, we, we spoke about our incredible motorbike trip from London down to the Sahara, some of the amazing people we met along the way, and our incredible instructor, uh, Paul. So this week, we are um, probably going to talk about what our, our toughest adventure has been, I think, Yeah. so far. This was a mad one. Which, well, where did the idea come from, do we think? What do you reckon? Um, Pub again? I actually don't know. I think we... We'd identified that we wanted to go to Patagonia. So for yeah. those who maybe don't know, Patagonia is a region in South America that kind of crosses through Chile and Argentina. Uh, it's absolutely massive. It's kind of renowned for being one of the rawest places left on earth, very much untouched. Um, and 
think we identified we wanted to do something there and then we started to try and form some kind of adventure just around that location we landed on what was a world first i guess adventure triathlon yeah with we've got good background in triathlon yeah 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 good. yeah years of experience and ultra endurance events so love running i think, I think. love running <laughs> boy oh boy am i a runner Ooh, not been the same you try and stop me running not been the same since that run but we basically yeah sat down on google maps with a couple of beers and just plotted out what we th- thought we wanted to do i think it started off as a bike ride as an epic bike ride and then it just morphed its way into i was trying to create the ultimate way of experiencing patagonia which yeah I guess ended up in being a 1600 kilometer cycle from the north of the region down to El Chalten, which is like the classic famous Alpine town uh, at the base of the Fitzroy Massif. Uh, Then into a 65 kilometer ultra run around this famous trekking circuit called the Wemmel Circuit. Hanging. Which is, yeah, supposedly the, the toughest hike in the region and then we ended up doing a hundred kilometers stand-up paddleboard which is years of experience in that as well years of experience yeah never um, been on one which is just ridiculous so on this episode we're going to talk about the the kind of planning the sponsorship the training that we did and and our first leg of that adventure which was the 1600 kilometer cycle so yeah we're going to split this adventure into three episodes much like the row we're going to do each discipline because each deserves its own episode because this was an absolute mad one and to kind of give you a background so we obviously had this thing set out we then went out to brands like we always do and we ended up working with trek bikes uh, nike training came on as a partner uh, sta travel were our kind of travel partner we worked with a company in the u.s called narbox which was this incredible bit of kit that basically allows you to store all your photos and videos on this tiny little device workshop coffee yeah we had a, actually a really good roster of brands on board that was amazing yeah. everywhere, everywhere we were looking on the adventure as a, a, a partner that all fit in and yeah that's like something that we really want to make sure of when we do it is that any event any adventure and the partners that we work with have to fit in and make that adventure easier or more enjoyable and in this case they all added value in f- more ways than one and red paddle obviously yeah and obviously one. yeah oh sorry yeah red, red paddle company as well so they all had a firm place there whether it was the trailing element beforehand with nike or the the booking of the logistics which was mad at sta travel helped out with that um all the way down to the daily coffee that we were grinding um with workshops so yeah that was that was pretty cool actually looking back on the the roster of brands that we worked with yeah and the what was the training like i can't remember so i think that the first thing that was in our head was this cycle obviously because it was the first part of the triathlon but also 1600 kilometers was just a distance that we hadn't even comprehended it was going to be made up of 160k or more a day um which did end up being more Mm. and they're all just distances that we, we'd never done before. We, we'd done bits and pieces, like very little, probably not much further than 30, 40K, a couple around Richmond Park. Yeah. Um, and we didn't, I think maybe we trained a bit wrong, actually. Trek were kind enough to give us this amazing bike. Oh, yeah. Um, this super lightweight, far, way outside of our pay grade um, when it comes to cycling. Um, and we were on that and we were dashing around doing our rides here our rides there um, mainly between cafes yeah and um, punched avocado on toast but punched yeah I think in some cool places they will punch them sometimes they'll elbow drop them elbow avocado on toast is a new one um, in the southern region of Barcelona okay yeah nice um Southern region of Barcelona. Yeah, right on the coast. <laughs> like, on the beach. Yeah, that's what they call it, anyway. <laughs> and uh, um, Just one place for the beach. <laughs> yes, one guy, elbow dropping avos. Oh, that's got left field. Um, I can't remember what I was saying. Oh, but actually, oh, actually, boring. the cycle was, was, wasn't really like that at all. It was fucking long day shit is what it was an absolute slog Um, so the training wasn't that relevant but we did bits and pieces we probably gave ourselves 14 weeks to train 
Yeah, I think mainly bicep curling, really. Yeah, mainly just t-shirt muscles, and <laughs> I think we we did a bit of running, but I think with a lot of these things, you can you can sometimes overtrain. I think that's that's that was that's never a, in danger. That's a phrase for a lazy bastard. <laughs> yeah, but you don't want to overtrain. It's like, but you're not fucking doing anything. It's like got a, I said, I don't want to overtrain. I've got to shout out my brother on this, who <laughs> lived by the exact same values when he was running the London Marathon a couple of years ago. As soon as he signed up, he was more conscious of overtraining than <laughs> training at all. So um, it, it's a yeah, it's a real thing, and we just didn't yeah, want to happen. It's it? smart, and I think you got to look after yourself. <laughs> exactly. And if you don't like doing something, don't do it, and just do it and hate it for a short period of time. We, we wanted, year. yeah, we definitely didn't want to get injured in the lead up. No, to it. no, no, um, definitely not. So we made sure we got injured doing and it. And it's cold there, so we made sure we was heavily overweight. <laughs> Had that insulating <laughs> layer of fat around yeah. us, which was good. Big arms, fat stomach, <laughs> shit cardio. Yeah, exactly. no, I'm joking. We were we were in all right shape. We went down there, but the kind of the day we left, the kind of 48 hours that ensued was probably a bigger test than the actual adventure itself. It was God. absolute carnage. It was carnage, wasn't it? So we got on this flight, um, all packed up. We got our huge paddleboard bags. Um, all this kit our bikes, bikes are in these boxes yeah. being shipped there so we got a ton of stuff get to the airport you didn't have an ester so that was the first thing so we had to get that sorted which was a bit of a panic and then we flew to Miami and we had a stopover in Miami we actually uh, uh, one of a friend of ours called Ben was actually on the same flight so we bumped into him had some food and beers with him in Miami and then we had like a two hour wait for our flight. Yeah. I remember we were sat there outside the gate and it was like 10 minutes till boarding and it was like boarding it's like fucking hell like where is everyone? And it was like ding dong last call for Mr. Caulfield and Whittle and it was like <laughs> oh wrong shit gate. <laughs> wrong gate and it was about a 15 kilometre run to get to this plane and it we must have set a European record. <laughs> At least a European record. We had to absolutely shell it to this gate. Managed to get on the plane. Completely overwhelmed. Like, thank God. Sat down. And little did we know, we were leaving Miami. But 80% of our kit was staying. <laughs> was staying in Miami. It was an absolute shit show, really. Firstly, you never knew how far away that place is. Oh, my God. So it was a, whatever, 10-hour flight to Miami, little stopover, and then another 10-hour flight to Buenos Aires with our bags very much stuck in Miami. And then once arriving there, we had to make sure we get this right, but there's basically there's two airports in Buenos Aires. Yeah. And flew into one, the big international one, had to get ourselves across the city with our luggage in about an hour and a half and then fly another three and a half hours down to Al Calafate. And we'd question that period of time, hadn't we? Oh, to the guy totally. at SDA. Yeah, we were yeah. like we were like, right, so we land at let's say midday and we've got to get to the domestic airport and our domestic flight is at one fifteen PM and he's like, Yeah, yeah. It's a small airport, you'll walk straight into the plane. It's not that far. And we were like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. And we landed. So we were we were very much conscious that we had to be really, really quick. And we had a transfer waiting for us. And we landed and we were waiting by the baggage collection. And it's everyone's worst nightmare. Literally nothing really came out. Your bag, yeah. my paddleboard, that was it. That was it. Two bags out of five or whatever it was. No bikes. Your paddleboard wasn't there. My fucking luggage wasn't there so I had no clothes <laughs> you nothing you there with your luggage you were like point. get in there <laughs> I had about three t-shirts on just showing off <laughs> oh yeah but we we didn't we were like torn as well because we wanted to wait for our bags and sort all that out and log the whole lost luggage thing and that whole complaint but at the same time these flights to Calafate are like once a day, like tops, maybe a few. Oh, it's two week. days, yeah. Yeah, yeah once a two day wait. So we were like conscious that we had to, still had to get across the city. So we basically, we drew a line under it. We spoke to the guys there and they are like, yeah, it's it's not been tagged outside of Miami. So it's not, it's not going anywhere, basically. So we rushed all the way down to the other Buenos Aires airport um, with whatever we had left of our luggage and we were going to just plan on sorting out when they get there. They'd said that they'd make it, they'd make the luggage get to us somehow. So we flew across the city, uh, got into the airport, arrived, ran to the check-in desk. First thing, nah, your flight's closed, I'm afraid. 
So we're like, oh, panic. Bugger. Yeah, we, we thought we'd missed it straight away. Um, we kind of stood at the back of the hall there. Of the, it was a quite a small airport, but at the back of the room, calling STA, trying to arrange an alternative route to get down there. And for some reason, luckily, the flight that we were to get onto El Calafate was delayed by like 15 minutes. So they came and gave us a shout, forced us through security. Oh, we fucking rapidly. legged it. We ran. Pegged it. We're like, right, they're like, you've literally got like five minutes to get to this gate. And like, we hadn't gone through security or anything. So we pegged it and we had these big backpacks on. And I went, I went to duck under one of the, the like, uh, the queuing barriers ducked under it my backpack got caught and basically floored myself and about 15 of these metal uh, queue things yeah. like the biggest noise you've ever heard floored yourself <laughs> the, the metal queue things and at least two infants <laughs> just on the floor so I just say absolutely like curled up at a ball on the floor like mangled across all this rope and stuff everyone's just stopped and looked and I'm just there like son of a bitch that's embarrassing <laughs> had to leave it as well yeah, yeah. oh yeah couldn't just, it back up yeah just pegged it off got to the gate it's like smash made it amazing um, nothing's really happening though there's a bit of a kerfuffle going on down near the plane uh, which we later realised was my fault <laughs> yes <Yeah>, so <laughs> we get to the gate and we're like right amazing okay like we're, we're overcoming this we'll, we'll get through it then the plane's a bit delayed a bit delayed and then the tannoy comes on again and it's like could have missed a Tom Caulfield please come to customer services and it's like oh fucking hell, what now maybe it's our bags maybe they've arrived anyway they take me down um put me on a bus I'm, I'm on my own here with some dude i can't really speak to him he's only speaking spanish uh and they take me off on this bus for about 10 minutes down the road in this airport uh we stop off at a big warehouse where all the baggage gets scanned and there's three policemen all with guns and two of their the airport staff and they've got my big red paddle uh paddleboard bag or oh, your one my, my one. one your one but it is my name on it yeah and they were like can you open this bag please and it's like oh fucking hell wasn't it oh no it was your one yeah because my paddleboard didn't make it oh you yeah oh yeah yeah so my paddle bag went down then i opened a bag please opened it and we we took a jet boil with us to basically boil water for the food and that's obviously gas powered uh and i think when you packed it you'd put a propane tank yeah. inside the jet boil, jet boil yeah. and put it in my bag yeah. so they were like what's inside there it's like um, I, I honestly have no idea and they opened it and it's a propane thing they're fucking like really weirdly kicking off about it anyway 20 minutes later they're like okay fine you're good to go get back on the bus back meet you it's like you bastard you've done it you're, <laughs> you're pissing yourself always off, pack your own bags <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um and then we get on the plane finally half an hour later and it's like fucking hell what an ordeal ordeal what an ordeal sit down let's get a beer sit down it's like right okay we're on our way this has been a bit of a nightmare but here we go I then check my pockets just as you do you know when you check phone wallet keys kind of thing check my pockets and it was like where's my wallet (laughs) I'm looking at him I'm like I've lost my wallet and he's like you are joking me and on that bus that I'd got to go and see these policemen my wallet had fallen out of my pocket so I'm on this plane like can I go back and get it they're like nah we're taking off it's like oh my god it's the worst day of my life <laughs> this is the worst day of my life like fuck everything it was oh it was brilliant it was an absolute calamity though wasn't it oh, it was awful absolutely awful and we landed into El Calafate yeah went to this little tiny little hotel and yeah. then this procedure to try and get our oh my god who did we fly with was it United or American no, I think it was British Airways, and then that they like use American Airlines plane to to get us over there, and um, basically they found our bags, they had it all and stuff. But we are at this point, like hours away, a thousand miles away in El Calafate, and they're not going to release our bags unless we had like this signed document and our yeah, passports it's, there. It was something to do with so they flew them down to Buenos Aires, and Argentina is just a weird fucking place. The whole customs, customs thing, yeah, it's so so weird. But anything coming in, they like they just think you're going to sell it because it's like a big thing over there anyway, like inflation and whatnot. And they were like, we managed to get hold of American Airlines who were just shit the whole way through. And we're like, we need our bags like now. And they're like, okay, they're in Buenos Aires. They're not releasing them. You need to go with a signed document and your passport. And it's like, we're in fucking El Calafate. Yeah. Like we're miles away. 
So we put out a shout on our social media saying, does anybody know anyone in Buenos Aires who can, uh, we can sign a form, scan it to them, send it to them, send our passport scans, then go to the airport and release our bags. And somehow it worked. Yeah. Like, amazing response to be fair. Great response. Like, it, and it was a mission. Even if like someone, even if you lived in Buenos Aires, like going to do that, is a bit of a mission. Like yeah, driving to gotcha. the airport, hours, waiting and all this stuff. And we ended up with this absolute legend, a guy called Gary. Gary Savage. Savage. Gary Savage. Gary Savage. And um, he was maybe one of the nicest blokes I've ever spoke to. Just How did we get hold of him? Selfless guy. It was a guy, it was a, it was a guy, friend, was a guy I went to uni with played cricket with him that in was Argentina. Yeah, yeah. I was like, right, I know a guy called Gary, South African dude. Uh, he might be able to help because he's got connections with like some Aero 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 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or it was like Swiss Air or something. And it was this South African guy and we then over the next like three days this guy Gary was a total legend. And like went Voice to the airport, Gary. Yeah, oh, and if anyone knows anyone South African, there's something in South Africa where they just love to send voice notes that I'm a big, big fan of actually. Like we do it quite a lot now, mainly because of Gary. <laughs> so we'd be texting him like, Gary, thanks so much. Like, here's the document, like blah blah blah. Like we've spoken to them, all this information. And he'd reply and he'd be like, uh, hey guys, is Gary here? Uh, <laughs> I've uh, uh, been to the airport and uh, yeah, it's okay, bro. It's okay, bro. And he'd sign off every single voice note with cha-cha. <laughs> so instead of saying, like, if you're English, you'd be like, okay, cool, cheers, bye. He'd be like, yeah, guys, I've got the bad, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, cha-cha. <laughs> and to this day, every single voice note we do, we sign off with, okay, cha-cha. <laughs> it's really stuck. The legacy, li- the li- legacy lives on with Gary. But the guy... He actually fully sorted it out, and it wasn't just as simple as then getting all the bags to us, because there was bike boxes that actually, with the amount of time it was taking, we needed to start this whole thing because we still had twenty days or whatever it was, or of, of loads of exercise ahead of us. So he he arranged for the bikes to go to a completely different city where we were flying to to start our long bike ride. The bags made it to us in El Calafate and uh, we eventually, after the whole thing, ended up meeting the guy in Buenos Aires on our way back uh, and he was an absolute hero. Yeah. It's a nice one, Gary. Um, But eventually, finally getting our bags and we were kind of settled in, sorting our kit out and the first leg was about to start which meant I was flying up to Bariloche to begin with and and then going from there... Uh, to Eskel which was where we were actually going to start the bike ride which is weirdly like a Welsh town yeah in the middle of Argentina yeah they Um, speak Welsh all the signs are in Welsh yeah fucking Welsh very strange (laughs) they're everywhere um so yeah, th- that was our next plan. Get ourselves, meet our bikes in Bariloche, then get a little bus to Eskel, and that was where we'd stay one night, prep everything, basically put our bikes together, which is hilarious if you know anything about Tom and I. There is very little mechanical knowledge whatsoever, so putting these bikes where's together. Where's this wheel go then? <laughs> what do I do with that? was hilarious, and I mean, we... We got to Eskel, found a shopping trolley, like pushed our bags <laughs> yeah. about three miles to this random Airbnb. Uh, and the following morning, six in the morning, it's bucketing it down with rain. Our bikes are finally together and might be one of the heaviest things. Up there with nearly as heavy as the motorbike. <laughs> We're like, how the oh fuck are we going to cycle these 1600k? The... The perception that people may have of adventure and stuff like that, which seems maybe glamorous, you get to travel to all these places and what a thing to do. And yeah, a lot of that is true. It's a very privileged thing to be able to do. But the logistics and the faff that goes with it is beyond belief. Yeah. There are kind of problem solving skills have become pretty sensational yeah I'd agree with that due to the fact that we are constantly in situations stuff is always going wrong always goes wrong like every single time whether it's forgetting that bit of kit on the Atlantic or having the wrong oars like a day before to this like everything seems to go wrong and I think we've become pretty fucking good actually at just being like okay that's annoying these are our options just taking it on the chin and moving on straight away yeah Um, but yeah heavy bikes Kind of a well, we started in what was probably the heaviest rain I've seen in the last ten years. 
and we just pulled away and it was like right okay here we go kind of new we were basically on one road yeah for half of it and then we go on to another road for the second half of it and we kicked off and I mean, what was that first day like? Well, I think maybe from our training, we just, we didn't pace ourselves at all. The bikes were super heavy. We were on these uh, Trek Tourers, so they were really solid bikes, kind of panniers and racks front and back um, with like the gear levers that meant that you could spin like a really low gear up for going up hills with heavy loads and stuff. But we were just used to cycling relatively hard because we were only going to do an hour or so and we just totally had that in mind so we were hammering it not very fast but effort wise and then an hour two hours in three hours in i mean after half an hour of cycling it just went to gravel oh that was that was one of we the most demoralizing trip. things i've ever ever come across and worth saying, we planned the whole thing really on Google Street View yeah. and Google Maps, um, where you could literally go down the road step by step, every 10 metres or whatever. And on Google Street View, it's all tarmacked and lovely and the scenery's amazing. And we got there and, what, 80% of it? Oh, just, just shit. Gravel, shit. just gravel. And it, it I mean... Well, there, there, there were signs, weren't there? Anyway. It was like, roadworks ahead. And it was like, okay, maybe there's like a bit of roadworks. That's fine. We can deal with it. But because the route we did is actually quite famous in the summer, uh, a lot of people go and do parts of it or, or all of it or whatever. But we were doing it in the off-season, in the winter, which for some reason we like to do. <laughs> um, and basically in that season, because nobody does it then, the government we're like right okay let's redo these roads and so they dug up pretty much yeah 80 percent of our route and it's not like here where they dig it up and they quickly then pave it they just dug it up and just left it so it was a mixture of like sand and silt yeah and huge bits of like not like little fine gravel like huge rocks yeah and if you can imagine yeah riding 160 to 200k on a bike that weighs more than a 15 year old boy (laughs) easily yeah road tires as road well. tires uh it was it was honestly just so frustrating because you couldn't build up any speed and it's so hilly and the whole time we were just like every now and again one of us would just scream and yeah. just be like this is shit the whole time it's also pissing down with rain yeah. it's about two degrees so you're constantly wet your face is frozen it, it was like it was bleak and this picture we had of cycling through these mountains and through these glacial lake passes and everything was just it just was the complete opposite yeah I mean it, day one was tough and it, but it just got harder I think we thought after day one we were when we finally got to where we were staying we thought it might get easier we might get used to it and actually it didn't it was just savage the whole time and it wasn't wasn't fun at all oh, zero fun it was in hindsight looking back it was a great thing to do and it was wicked and but it wasn't fun we literally wanted to be anywhere else apart from them so we were, sign, we were signing up for the longest days in the saddle going slow and then camping at the night oh, soaking wet freezing God. cold none of our like bib shorts our tights our kit none of it's drying because it's freezing cold so then we're waking up first thing in the morning to get a jump on and, and try and get as much cycling as possible and we're putting back on these essentially frozen bib shorts and stuff it was it was just shit really yeah and then we kept going a few days uh we camped a couple of nights a couple of nights we couldn't camp because the the campsites were like waterlogged so we stayed in like a random little person's house once that was fine that was great uh and then we got to koi haiki which is like a slightly bigger town and we spoke to the guys at patagonia you can't even put us up in their like athlete uh, like cabin chalet thing that was, that was super yeah that was great like fair luxury. play to those guys they sorted us out and then after that we pushed down and suddenly we, we kind of climbed quite a lot so it became quite quite a high altitude which was wasn't like necessarily bad for cardio but the the rain then turned to snow and we ended up cycling for about two days through a a fully fledged blizzard the wind in Patagonia for those that don't know so Patagonia is the second windiest place on earth outside of Antarctica. Like the wind is like famous. And if you've got a headwind on a bike where it's a blizzard, 
like you literally don't go anywhere and you're putting your full noise on the pedals and you're barely moving uh and the whole thing was just an absolute test oh yeah you took a little spill on in the snow i fell over um punctures you got a puncture probably three times yeah um didn't take a puncture repair device so you had to do it with a the arm of a coffee grinder which oh, was yeah. very resourceful yeah thank you for that lucky you could do it I can't change a puncture to save my fucking life yeah. the worst adventure in the world <laughs> no the, yeah well the fact that I was the mechanic says a lot about both of us um, but yeah it was oh man it was brutal we had one final like massive climb or at least it felt like that there were, there were definitely more to come but our last big one and we finally were cruising down this hill that was like a 20 kilometer downhill um just to like finish the route seven is the famous road and we got to the base of this hill where this little town was just wanted to do another 30 or 40k that day before sleeping and we just came across this road closure and um there was no way around it 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 was like there's no option to go through it so we actually had to turn around cycle back up halfway up that hill so then 12k back uphill uh reroute completely and end up joining the what was it called the other road route 40 yeah so we had to go back up and i tell you what it's we're lucky to do this in this day and age because we hit that road closure got on our phones somehow had signal which was quite rare and then looked at the maps and it's like right what is our option here and there was a lake a huge lake nearby and there was a ferry that crossed that lake once every two days and that went to a place called Chili Chico or something which means we could then go east and join the route 40 which is kind of the second half of the ride so we're like right let's, let's head down to that little port on the edge of this lake see what the deal is with this ferry because that's the only way we can go back like we'll carry on the way we want to go without having to go probably a hundred kilometers back where we come from so we cycled back up this hill went back down arrived in this port and this ferry is pulling up and it's like no way and for once we had the luck on our side yeah we got on this ferry which we literally pulled up rode straight onto this ferry paid like a tenner and it took us across across this lake if we'd missed it if we'd sat down for five minutes we would have missed it and we would have had to wait two days there got over on this ferry cool we're sorted headed east and then we hit the route 40 which was a complete it's, a, it's amazing actually this country or this region even for the contrast that you can get by moving 100 kilometers from west to east yeah we've been cycling through lush forests like snow peak mountaintops glacial lakes like incredibly damp amazing scenery and then a day later we were in this barren desert yeah it was well on the the route seven the first bit that you just mentioned we had well there was cows like lining every road some of the Biggest cows I've ever seen. Those cows are on the juice over there. It's mad. They're just, you can see why they're famous for steaks yeah. in Argentina. Like, holy shit, they some just of these cows. They lie in the middle of the road. They're not moving anywhere, so we weren't going anywhere near them. A couple of times, we just waited for about an hour for them to move, and then eventually gingerly made our way past. There's, like, random houses, like, dotted so sporadically, like, with 100 miles between them, um, that I guess these gauchos live in, and they've got dogs working dogs that would cycle past there'd be a pack of dogs that would come out <laughs> go absolutely nuts us follow us for like two miles and then just disappear again <laughs> we'd be like oh look a dog and it's like it's just like ah! <laughs> <laughs> we'd be absolutely knackered after charlie goes past such little basses like they they clearly didn't want to like properly bite us because they could have but they just stay on your back wheel for for so long <laughs> we're you know, tucking just, in it's absolute like, aero mode just trying to get away I'm trying to dust James so he's on the menu <laughs> <laughs> it's just an absolute oh, it's just carnage but um, yeah it, it was amazing to see how it went from total mountain region to total desert and I think we crossed the Chile Argentina border three or four times yeah back and forth back and forth as a road kind of weaved and then when we finally got the route 40 is basically in Argentina the whole way uh, so we went from all this luscious landscape and these cows and dogs and and like a lot of vegetation to absolutely nothing, nothing. just this one straight road maybe the bleakest road I've ever seen and the a very rare car it's called the, what, the Patagonian Steppe isn't it yeah that's and it. it's basically this one road that goes 
essentially from the very, very south of Patagonia to the very, very north. And it is literally a strip of tarmac, dead straight, through this desert. Uh, there's no plants. There's no towns. When we were looking on Google Maps beforehand, there was these images, of these, well, these kind of the outlines of these big lakes, because we obviously were self-sufficient. So we had to basically plan where we'd get water from. And on the Route 7, it's fine, because there's loads of waterfalls and glacial lakes, so you've got fresh water everywhere. And then suddenly, you're in this barren wasteland, and luckily, we clicked on the satellite image of it, and we actually saw all these lakes and rivers, they've been dried up for for years and so we were then trying to figure out okay we need to make sure we don't run out of water and we'd be like right there's a petrol station 200 kilometers in so we've got to make this water last for 200k and and it was actually quite a lot of logistics and we were told beforehand that this area of patagonia that we didn't really get signal in many places but this place is a like there is no signal. A vacuum, wasn't it? Like Weird. nothing. And obviously no signal on our phones, but our GPS wouldn't work, which is our GPS is meant to work yeah. anywhere in the world. And we'll speak about that in the next episode because, yeah, we'll tell you why it didn't. <laughs> um, and so we were completely off the grid. So we knew that if we got stuck, we were in a bit of trouble. Uh, and we didn't see, we like would go a whole day without seeing a car or a truck or anything. And it was just, it was actually a weird few days because it was tarmac. So we were over the moon. But it was just the same view, just sat there. And we do, I remember we just like 20 minutes on, the guy at the front, because we're going into a headwind. Then 20 minutes off, you sit behind the wheel. And we just do that all day. Yeah. Then we stop at the side of the road, set up our tent, eat some food, sleep, get up. And it was, what What was it, four, three or four days on the Route 40? Yeah. And it was uh, bleak, but a totally different bleak to what yeah. we'd had previously. The, the best thing about it was when we eventually kind of made a right turn off it towards the lake uh, basically where you start getting heading back towards the ridge of the mountains and then I think we were about maybe 60 miles 50 miles away uh, from our like final destination which was El Chalten and then we kind of just crested this hill and you could just see the ridge line of the the Fitzroy Massif which is uh is very famous, and I guess a lot of people now know it from the logo behind uh, of the Patagonia brand, the Patagonia logo. But that is that is called the Fitzroy Massif, and it stands out because it just pops up out of the desert. Uh, you can see it from 50, 60 miles away. Uh, so to see that and know that that was our destination, it kind of gave us a bit more of a, a massive bump. Uh, I mean, it was still windy as hell. Um, and that those 50 miles, we ended up doing it in like, or when we saw it, we had one more night uh, and then the final day was like 40, 40 Ks in. Um, and it was absolutely amazing. I think that the life that being at the bottom of the Fitzroy knowing that that was there gave us was epic. And it that started to make it be like kind of worth it. And then we started to realise how far we'd come and it, was, and it was a totally different landscape to where we left at the beginning. So it was quite cool. Um, but all in all, uh, pretty bleak to be honest yeah so nine days we spent on the bikes and being honest before we got there the bike was the bit where we were like you know it's just a bike ride yeah, it should be fun it'd be a bit of a slog but it should be amazing um and that was then going to set us up for the the second part which was a run which was the thing that we were really nervous about um but it wasn't the case it it, it absolutely battered us and we arrived into our charter pretty broken but absolutely elated um but with one eye on the next stage which was obviously the 65k ultra run and our plan was to get into our chalten we we're going to give ourselves something like two days to rest get some decent sleep in a bed um kind of properly like stretch out our muscles because we've been sat in the saddle for so long yeah get the route fully mapped yeah, and yeah. figure out kit right, needed what is the plan eat a load of food get some sleep and prepare ourselves properly for what was the thing that was stressing us out the most that was this run um and that plan got dashed immediately yeah unfortunately as per us the weather wasn't on our side and it meant that yeah there was no break to be had and we we had to leave Within a few hours of actually arriving in El Chalten, we had to jump straight into the next leg of the adventure. Um, 
so with that, that's our, our next episode. We'll go on to talk about that 65-kilometre ultra run that ended up being one hell of an epic day. Um, but the bike ride was amazing. I think now's a good chance to go back, and we've had a few questions about the, the Patagonia adventure. Um, so which what is the first one we got? Uh, first one is from... A bit of a logistical one. Yeah. How do you film yourself without any support? Great question. Good question. Um, so what did we do? So faff is the answer. Yeah, so uh, we took a tripod. Yeah. We took... Drone. A drone with us. <laughs> Fucking hell. Which is an absolute <laughs> nightmare. So we carried this drone with us the entire, the entire way on the bikes. And this is how windy it was. We got 40 seconds of drone footage yeah. in um, nine days. Pretty much it. Right yeah. at the base of the Fitzroy. Yeah. We we could not put this thing in the air because it would have just been blown to Brazil. And we had we had a <laughs> we had this stupid like update that we couldn't do because we didn't have any internet. Oh, fucking DJI DJI equipment is as good as it can be, it is shit a yeah. lot of the time. And some of the scenes we were in, we've got GoPro footage on which just obviously just doesn't do it much justice, and the drone would have been incredible. Couldn't couldn't get it up because the interference we had, it's the like, update we couldn't get. Update, firmware update required. Like, you need an internet connection. It's like, you son of a bitch, I'm in the middle of Patagonia, why won't you just fly? And it's, it's the like, most annoying thing. Because it was fine the day we left, the morning we left, we tested it, fine. As soon as we go, two days in, no. So yeah, we, we take all the kit with us and it ends up being a decent chunk of the weight that we end up carrying, which is, you end up, regretting as soon as you're cycling uphill on gravel on those bikes thinking why the fuck am i carrying this massive tripod this drone i mean you start questioning everything we've got four kilos of coffee in the bag as well <laughs> we've got canned wine that we uh, yes we had a canned wine sponsor we partnered with union, union. wine which is an incredible wine from so oregon uh but obviously we took like we were saying in the last few episodes we celebrate big days and, and wins so we carried about two litres of, uh, <laughs> of Pinot Noir. Just what you want. Just what you want. A nice can of Pinot Noir after a hard day on the saddle. Um, so, yeah, we carried all of our equipment and stuff. And you basically, you've got to try and keep an eye out for it. And it's, it's really difficult when you're knackered and you just want to get to the next place. And we just kind of said that from the beginning, that we have to be on it. We have to stop when we see a place that we want to shoot. So we did. We We'd stop somewhere, we'd get the camera out, set the tripod up, walk back, sight like start filming. We had like a remote so we could film it as we went past and take stills as we went past. And then we'd cycle past it until we got out of shot. Then we'd have to turn around, come back, pick the camera up, tripod, pack it all again and get on our way. And it's not a huge time burden, but well, it just it takes gets you out your rhythm. It takes longer it? than you think. Yeah. You're probably looking at 20 minutes to yeah. shoot anything. Yeah. And, and it's, it's always that balance because you're there to well we're there to do a job as in we need to we need to do this amount of miles we need to get to this place by this time we need to actually complete this adventure but at the same time we've got deliverables to yeah. the brand so we need to shoot content and and it proper divides it, it, in your head you're just like the last thing I want to do now is fucking stop yeah get off my bike set this stuff up cycle past it come back pick it up and it breaks any rhythm and it's a constant battle because anyone who's done that kind of thing, the last thing you want to do is whip a camera out and speak to camera because yeah. you're absolutely papped. Yeah. You, you're in a bad mood, you're cold, you're wet, and you've got to kind of try yeah. and you, you think, that. Yeah, you think you're saying the same thing every day um, because you're just in a bleak mood every day. But, yeah, I, th- I think we we definitely got better at it. We did quite a good job, I think, of it, to be fair. The content was good from it. We, we made three episodes, which I think we were pretty happy with. It's never going to be... Unless you've got a support queue, it's never going to be super cinematic, no. super moody. It's very, very raw, kind of to camera, because if it's too overproduced, it shows that you're not really, you're not really in a in a in a hole. You, if you've got time to go and do that, then it's probably not hard enough. We so, also don't really have the skills. Yeah, and we haven't got a clue. We just shoot on auto. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's always a very, very, very tough thing to do. Um, 
So, yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, I like that. Uh, second one, what was the routine and how many kilometres per day? Routine, so, what was that? Wake up in the morning in the tent, go. Yeah, like, like we mentioned earlier, so say say we'd get to somewhere, it's dark, we've got the head torches on, set the tent up, and <laughs> we took an inflatable tent. tent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we, oh, my God. We took an inflatable tent to the second windiest place <laughs> on the planet. Uh, which is intense. which is amazing because in theory that there's no poles that can snap the tent can't break it's going to be bomb proof and it was it was bomber but it also then lacks structure in any way whatsoever and the wind it wasn't like random gusts of high wind it was constant so we'd get in the tent and the tent would just be laying on us blown by the wind <laughs> from the moment we go to bed to the moment we wake up and it was like getting beaten up by the tent every night. Well, it's like being waterboarded. <laughs> <laughs> like, there was a few times you wake up, and I, quite a lot of the time, I, my side of the tent, we have sides of the tent, like yeah. like a couple has sides of the bed. <laughs> the wind was coming from one direction, so it was one direction. Woohoo! Big fan. What a band. Um, <laughs> the, the, the fabric of the tent would just be like over my face, essentially choking me to death. Uh, and then James would wake up and be like oh I'm barely getting any fucking sleep it and he'd look over and I'm just there looking at him like <laughs> with this fabric on my face like don't you even think about it yeah I lucked out I think on the on the temp positioning strategic to be fair it was but, hard um, it was hard to sleep we got so little sleep yeah so the tent was I mean funny at first then very very annoying uh, but yeah put that up you kind of cook on the jet boil just freeze dried food which was again very reliable amazing did an absolute job go to sleep or lie down and get beaten up for a, a few hours <laughs> wake up um relatively early freezing cold most of the nights were just kind of disturbed by how cold we were as well and we had quite a decent kit and decent bags yeah, but yeah. when you're just wet all day um it's very hard to generate any warmth and then so you wake up early doors <laughs> put the kit back on make a coffee every morning so grind the coffee beans make a I think we took a V60 um, make coffee every morning have a bit of breakfast and then slowly just throw ourselves onto the bike I remember the first hour of oh, every yeah. day awful, isn't it? was just our backs were in pieces like our bums just finally getting moving and then once we got warmed up and found the rhythm a bit then it got a bit easier and that was when it was really tough to then jump off the bike and start filming because you had to do that all over again that process of getting back on it so it was that was a routine there wasn't too much to it we listened to podcasts actually and uh audio books was it on the yeah headspace we listened to actually yeah what was, the, um, what was that podcast we listened to? It was Dan yeah. Carlin. Hardcore History. Yeah, that was great. Amazing. Like just learning about the Russian Revolution for seven hours. <laughs> yeah, so if you've never listened to Hardcore History, you need a lot of spare time in your hands. Oh, God, yeah, you need to be unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> but you will learn all sorts, whether it's World War One, Russian History, no, French I'm Revolution. fucking crying about the Somme. <laughs> yeah, the Mayans. <laughs> yeah, anyway, it, that was amazing. So that, that was kind of the routine. It was, and it was... I guess it was quite good for a routine, more so than the next two legs of the adventure, but that was quite good. Uh, next question isn't about the adventure this is a good whatsoever. Question. This is from Adam Graveney, and this question is, would you rather face a fast ball from England bowler Joffre Archer, who, for those who don't know, bowls at between 90 and 95 miles an hour, or tackle Billy Villapona? Villapona. Who's that? <laughs> Who the fuck is he? <laughs> Billy Villapona. <laughs> he can't say his name. Amazing. I don't I'll go that one. Villapona. Fucking hell. What is going on? Incredible. Would you rather tackle Billy Villapona with a 20 metre run up? Or take a fastball from Joffre Archer? Oh, fuck me. I'm going fastball all day long. All day long. I mean, let's think of worst case scenario. Well, I mean, can you Billy pin... is going to absolutely steamroll you. Like, there's no question. Can you pin? Actually, can you pin? I reckon, I'm, <laughs> I reckon I've got a hit in me. It'll write me off for a year. Yeah. But if you go low enough, like we're talking, you got to ankles. go ankles. You can't wear a knee in the side. No, of the head. no. You've got to go. You've got to get lucky and just basically nosedive at the ankles and hope he trips over you. That's have the you, have you got to tackle him, or can you just turnstile him? Let's let's say it's it's a it's a full shoulder hit. Oh fucking hell! Or a ninety mile an hour bouncer. 
I mean, the bouncer, the bouncer, you can't, you're not going to see it. I'm going you're off, fucked. I'm going off Archer, bowling a wide. No, 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 but it's not a wide. <laughs> it's one ball, and it, it, it's like his final over in the Yeah, he bowled a wide. Cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A leg side wide. It's like, oh, that was easy. Fantastic. Right, he's middle it, stumping it's, it. It's, no, it's a... Yorker. It's a, bo- <laughs> it's a body line, Ooh. 90 mile an hour, coming at your chin, basically. Like how he hit Smith. Well, I'm not hitting that ball, am I? No. <laughs> so I'm wearing You're basically it. wearing it. Oh, Jesus. I, I think I'd rather I'd rather throw myself up because that ball hits you. Like, that's breaking an arm. If it catches you on the side of the head, you're man down. You're gone, Ski. Um, yeah, maybe maybe if if they're both hitting me, <laughs> I'd probably rather... A 20-meter run is quite a lot, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, both are going to fucking hurt. I think I'd rather jump at the ankles and just hope I don't get trampled on. I reckon I'd go high on Billy, just meet him. <laughs> Absolutely meet him in the field. Well, going high on Billy's waist high, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pretty much with, just, with our height. I'll just go, try and go... Just front up. Yeah. Big hit. Yeah. Just meet him at the gain line. <laughs> send him backwards. Drop him back. Send a message to the 14 other players. <laughs> Do not come down my channel. There is no channel anymore because <laughs> yeah. I'm in the channel. I am the channel. I'm under the grass. Don't now. come near me because I'll absolutely deck you. Yeah, maybe... Um... All right, so if Billy's listening to this boy, we've got... <laughs> You got a, you got a three metre run up. Still, he'd absolutely barrel us. God, um, it's a good question though. It is a good like that. more of that keep more shit. Of them. Yeah, Stop yeah. with the boring adventure questions, you nerds. Yeah, let's keep some what. Yeah, this versus that, like that. It's like, would you rather? Still like, <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I know what you're gonna say. It's filth. Both options are filth. <laughs> What's the classic one? It's like, would you rather bang your dad? Or... <laughs> right, I think we should on, probably on wrap up. <laughs> Thanks for listening again, guys. Keep questions coming in. Keep some reviews going on to Apple Podcasts and uh, ratings. That would be amazing. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Um, And, yeah, give us a shout. Next week we will talk about the second leg of our Ultra Trap. It's a big one. It's a big story. It is, uh, yeah, it's a hell of a trip, a hell of a day. And we'll look forward to sharing those stories. And in the meantime... Cha-cha. Have a great week. Cha-cha.